You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to a special NBA draft edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And last night, if you missed it, if you're sleeping under a rock, if you just had no interest, or if you just missed it, or whatever, I don't know. Uh, the Cavaliers, the number five overall selection, uh, picked forward Isaac Okoro out of Auburn um, with the, like I said, with the number five overall pick. And... That was a guy that we talked a lot about for a lot of different reasons. Um, that was Chris's best uh, player available for the Cavaliers to pick um, at the number five spot. I think his first option was to trade out, and I'm sure the Cavaliers fielded a ton of calls last night. But Chris, before we get into anything, what are your overall? What was your overall thought process? You know, and first of all, I would like to I, before that, Chris uh-huh. Fedor. You know, in the age of Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams Charania and all these guys that have these, you know, <laughs> mega sources that break everything for the, or that help them to break everything, Chris Fedor, our very own at Cleveland.com, broke the draft pick of Isaac Okoro to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, Chris, I want to congratulate you on a job very well done. You do a great job all the time, but certainly last night proved that you are as plugged in as anybody. Thanks, bud. I appreciate that. I mean, I've. I only worked on the draft for six, seven months trying to gather as much intel and network as with many people as possible. So I'm happy that it paid off and I'm glad it was a big night for um, for the company and uh, for the Cavs because they're thrilled with Isaac Okoro at number five. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that that was they're going to be a guy that I mean. We talked a lot about Obi Toppin. We talked about a lot, yep. of, a lot about Anyeka Kongwu. But the Cavaliers put in a lot of work on Isaac Okoro, yep. and um, it just seemed like the right fit for what they really needed. I yep. know we talked about the best player available, but it also seemed like the best fit available for the Cavaliers at number five. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to, Hayden. That's my overall takeaway from them taking Isaac at number five. Um, and they didn't ask for my opinion, by the way. But I'm happy that. <laughs> The guy that I fit, I think he's the best. Um, I think he's the guy who's going to have the biggest impact on this franchise of of anybody that could have been available at number five. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be the best rookie, right? I bet Obi Toppin has a better rookie season than Isaac Okoro. But this pick wasn't about the 2020-2021 season. It was about impacting the organization in the most positive way for the next five to 10 years. And I think it's him. And it's not just his defense. It's not just his will to win. 
it's not just his competitiveness. It's not just his versatility, able to guard probably one through four. I think five's too much of a stretch at this point. It's the NBA after all. So able to guard one through four. Um, one of the best finishers at the rim in all of college basketball. So he can do other things offensively while his shot comes. Um, but it goes beyond that. They need somebody like him, right? They're trying to um, put a new culture in place where competition matters, um, where having the right people in the organization is going to be important. Um, General Manager Copeland has called those things the controllables. And it's not to say that Denny Avdia didn't have those or Obi Toppin didn't or Onyeka Kongwu. All indications are that the intel that the Cavs got back on all those different guys was great from a character standpoint as well. Um, but but I just don't think there's anybody that fits this organization and this team as well as Isaac Okoro. In many ways, Hayden, this reminds me of the pick of Colin Sexton in 2018, where, yeah, you could talk about the fact that he didn't have an outside shot and you could question whether they should have taken Shade Gilgis Alexander or Michael Porter Jr. because those guys were more talented. Colin was just as talented as all of those guys, and he was the guy that the organization needed um, as they were going through a very, very difficult rebuild. And I think Isaac Okoro is that kind of guy. He's a winner. They don't have enough of those. Yeah, and that's exactly, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. Bruce Pearl was on the TV last night. Um, I don't know where he was. He looked like he was on the side of the road or something. But um, <laughs> Auburn's head coach, and, you know, we can we, we can put aside some of the questions about Bruce Pearl. But um, yeah. Bert, the thing, I think the first thing he said was character counts. And, yes, uh, right. and that was one thing that I really took away was not only that Isaac Okoro, you know, very, you know, long, athletic, talented guy. But seems to be very coachable, seems to be very team oriented, seems to be doing whatever, uh, seems to do, want to do whatever the coach and whatever the team needs him to do. Um, and you add that into the skill set that he has, the position that he has. Um, you know, I think the Cavaliers think that they could probably help that jump shot a little bit, that outside three point shot. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of just seemed like it was the right fit all along. So I think there were two things that, that came up in, in my research of Isaac for the feature that I did before the draft. One, he joined a team at Auburn that was loaded with seniors and guys that had had success. I think they were coming off an elite eight appearance. Mm -hmm. And despite joining that team, all of the guys who had previous success and Bruce Pearl, the head coach, said, this is our leader. This is our guy. Follow him. A teenager, right? A teenager who knew nothing about college basketball, came into that program that was, I guess, already established and already had success and already had guys who had done positive things at that program. And Isaac Okoro was the one who stood out. Isaac Okoro was the one who became the leader. Isaac Okoro was the one who Bruce Pearl called the faux senior. And I think that speaks volumes. He commands that level of respect. He earned that level of respect through his work ethic, through his competitiveness, um, through his team-oriented style. You know, sometimes these these big-time recruits go into a situation, and it doesn't go like that, right? He impacts winning in a positive way in in so many different ways. Bruce Pearl was telling me that Isaac went 
undefeated as a senior in high school. And then Auburn started 15 and 0. So he went like a full calendar year without losing a game. And then Auburn eventually lost six, I think, before the coronavirus shutdown. And two of those were when Isaac was sidelined with an injury. Um, so that stood out to me throughout the entire um, research process. And the other thing is, I talked to multiple people with Team USA basketball. And by the way, we have to get into this because I think the Team USA ties are something for people to follow when it comes to Kobe Altman's um, decision making. So let's get into that in a little bit. But yeah. I talked to multiple people with Team USA and Isaac missed out on one of the teams. I think it was the under 16 team that he was cut from. Um, and sometimes when guys get cut like that, they're like, yo, I should be on the team instead of that guy, right? Or they don't come back for the following year because they're holding it against the program for not allowing them the previous year. Well, mm -hmm. Isaac was like, all right, I wasn't good enough. I'm gonna work on my game. He went back and then he made the under 17 team and he beat out a kid named Joshua Christopher, who is like a top recruit, probably going to be a really, really high pick. In um, and there are a lot of people that had a problem with that. There are a lot of people from AAU and from the grassroots that said Okoro didn't belong on the team. Joshua Christopher should have been there. Um, but the coach that I talked to uh, that made that decision said we couldn't afford to not have Isaac on the team. And he didn't play a bunch, right? But he made them better on a daily basis because of all the other things that he brought to that program. And then when he did get an opportunity to play in games, he made a significant difference in the limited time. And I thought that was really, really interesting because that, that under 17 team or whatever it was, was immensely talented tons of lottery picks and the coach could not say enough really really good things about one how Isaac handled being cut two how he handled not getting as much playing time and three the kind of impact he was still having on a day-to-day -day basis despite the fact that he wasn't getting big minutes there's a lot of positives. I mean, there's a lot of positives associated with the person that Isaac is, the player that Isaac is, the tenacity, the grit, the toughness, the um, work ethic, the winning mentality, the you know athleticism, the uh, the defense. But with any prospect, there has to be negatives, and right. you know we should get into some of those. Um, first of all, the shooting. Um, yeah. You know, last year did not shoot the ball. You know, especially for a guy that. Some consider that they would kind of mirror like a three and D kind of player. Um, what what are some of the other kind of some things that maybe aren't as good with Isaac that really need to improve outside of? I mean, we can definitely talk about the the three point shot, but um, yeah. what are some of the things that maybe the Cavaliers are going to help to work with him on right away? I mean, free throws have to get better. He yeah. shot less than seventy percent from the free throw line. Um, I think he can probably get better as a ball handler. Um, but really the glaring one, Hayden, is the outside shot. Yeah. And I think this is important. Um, hmm, how can I phrase this? So guys that are poor shooters aren't poor shooters for the same reasons. 
Does that make right. sense? Yep. So Michael Kidd Gilchrist, for example, came into the NBA with a funky ass hitch in his shot. Mm-hmm. Right. That made him a poor shooter. And that had people saying, whoa, <laughs> right. there's probably no way that we can really fix this. Or if we do fix this, finally, it's probably going to take like three to five years because he's been shooting this funky ass way for his entire life. Now, he was able to still have success and do other positive things. But the shooting piece of somebody like MKG was tied to this weird motion that nobody would teach. Okay. well, when you're talking about LaMelo Ball, you know, he's got a funky motion, too. And there were people that felt like, okay, his shot's broken. They said the same thing about Lonzo. They had to completely revamp the shot. From everything that I've heard from the Cavs and other people that have scouted Isaac, it's not that level of overhaul, okay? It's something that needs to be fixed. They're going to have to work on it. Um, I don't want to play shot doctor, but... Everything that I've heard is that he just needs to get the ball up more and he needs to reach up higher on his release. He's been working on that since his freshman year at Auburn. Um, But that's a correctable type shot. So I think one thing that the Cavs and other teams around the NBA look at, Hayden, is that. Like, how correctable are the problems within the shot? Because not all of them are correctable, right? What's the form look like? How's the footwork? How's the balance? All those different kinds of things. Um, And then the other thing that the Cavs look at is, are you a worker? Like, Mm -hmm. are you somebody who is going to put in the time, day and night, um, focus solely on basketball and the shot to improve? You know, Jetty Osman has grown as a shooter. He couldn't shoot when he came to the Cavs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that were watching him in practices that were like, oh my God, I don't think it's going to happen. No defense against air. And he couldn't make shots in practice. That mm-hmm. was early on when he came to the Cavs. And this past year, he shot 38.5%. Why? One, the Cavs believe in their player development program. They believe in their coaches. They think shooting for the right person with the right tweaks is a correctable flaw. And Jetty's a worker. Everybody knows Jetty's a worker. Gets there early, stays late, before games, sometimes after games. Um, Colin Sexton couldn't shoot coming out of Auburn, uh, Alabama. Couldn't shoot. Shot like 33% from three-point range. In mm-hmm. the NBA, he's shooting 39% from three. Larry Nance Jr. a couple of years ago made two three-pointers t- total. That's it. Two. Um, this past year, he shot like 36% from three-point range. So it's like part of it's the person. Part of it is uh, the shooting form to begin with. And the other part of it is, where do you go? What team are you a part of? And the Cavs believe strongly in their player development program when it comes to correcting shooting because they have evidence that points them in that direction. And here's another thing, Hayden. So, yeah, he's not going to be a great shooter as a rookie in the NBA, probably. But being a poor shooter doesn't mean you're a poor offensive You know what I mean? Like there are other things that you can do on offense while the shot is coming, um, while waiting for that piece to develop, where you can make an impact. He can cut to the basket. 
down and attack the rim and, and get open looks, not just for himself, but for his teammates. Um, Kobe Altman believes he's an underrated passer. He's a ball mover. He's not a ball stopper. And, and I think for the Cavs, it's a great fit because they have so many ball dominant players. They have so many high usage players. And, and this is a kid who doesn't need the ball in his hands to find a way to impact games um, and find a way to still um, have some kind of value on the offensive end while being early on in his career anyway. Um, a bit of a liability from the three-point line. When you mentioned that it reminds you, the, the pick reminds you of Colin Sexton, it does to me too, for a lot of reasons. Um, first and foremost, as you mentioned, just the the kind of player that he is, the kind of, you know, worker and, yep. the, you know, that kind of mentality that he brings. And, you know, he's going to have that work ethic that he needs. And, you know, Colin Sexton would, couldn't shoot the ball very well, came into Cleveland who, believes in their ability, as you said, to, to, to help a jump shot. And now he's shooting the ball. Well, I think that the same with the Isaac, you know, the, the knock on him is that he can't shoot it. Well, now he's going to come to Cleveland where they believe in their ability to, to, to develop. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. Then you have both of them from, are from Georgia, um, you know, both from kind of the Atlanta area and then both with Alabama schools, uh, played against each other in high school, yeah, too. Split, played against each other in high school. It just, there seems to be a lot of similarities there. And unfortunately, I think one of the similarities is that, you know, this wasn't a universally beloved pick. Um, you know, a lot of be it all, it, be it what it may, you know, fans either on social media or some analysts or what whatnot, you know, thought maybe Obi Toppin would have been the better pick, or thought maybe Denny Avdia would have been the better pick there. Um, what did you take away from some of the criticism of this pick, uh, and why? Like for me, I just don't see where, you know, I don't see where this is could be a a bad pick for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think the, like I said, the Cavs needed a, a wing. They got a wing. Second of all, you know, all the things that you've mentioned in terms of, and all the things we've heard from, from everybody who's, who he's been around in terms of just his work ethic and his bill and his love of the game and his, you know, he's going to put in the time and the effort and that's huge. And, you know, the third thing is, you know, not all, it was a weak draft to begin with. And if this guy is athletic and can defend and the Cavaliers certainly need defense and, um, they believe in their ability to to hone offensive players. Then why why is he not the pick? I mean, it just right. it makes sense in so many ways. So, what did you take away from some of the criticism the Cavaliers got? Um, you know, be it because of Obi or whatever. I mean, I get it, obviously. Yeah, I think anytime you have a bunch of mock drafts around um, around the country from a multitude of websites with the same couple of players in them. Um, I think fans are naturally going to gravitate to those guys. And I think when the name Isaac Okoro gets called, when everything had pointed to Obi Toppin um, or Denny Avdia, um, it's going to be a surprise. And I think the element of surprise kind of ties into the reaction. And I also think there are people that wonder about Isaac as an offensive player. And I get it. I think those concerns are warranted. Hell, Kobe Altman said last night in a Zoom call with all of us reporters, he said, yes, it's a concern. Yes, we have to work on it. Yes, we understand that his shooting percentages have been low his entire basketball life. Um, so, yeah, combine all those things together. And I understand um, why there was the, the reaction that there was, a combination of shock and maybe even disappointment. But but I think you said it right, Hayden. 
Um, the Cavs, yes, the Cavs needed a wing. Yes, they needed someone who could defend. Those things are obvious. The bottom line is they needed a talented kid. Um, and, and I think Isaac Okoro is the best combination of all the things that they wanted out of this year's draft. He's the perfect mix of talent and um, fit. And, and you can talk about like Denny and Obi, and, and most people did hate most people did have those guys higher than a Coro. And that includes people around the NBA and scouts. Um, but but here's the thing. like we, we, we talked about this a number of different times, and I think people around the NBA admitted this. There was a top tier of players in this class. We know that. It was Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball. Right? It's not like the Cavs passed on one of those guys for Isaac Okoro. Because Okoro fit better, right? They didn't do that. Right. He was always in tier two. Okoro was always in tier two, along with Obi, along with Denny, along with Tyrese Halliburton, along with Patrick Williams of Florida State and Anyaki Kongwu. We talked about that for months yes, that the Cavs did. were having a really, really hard time parsing through that second tier because it was so cluttered and there was very little separating these prospects. So if that was the admission and that's what we knew, like it's not like they went from a different tier um, and sacrificed talent in order to fit a need. They got a talented guy who happens to be a wing, who happens to be able to defend. It's everything that they could have wanted out of this pick. And that's why, to me, I had a Coro at the very top of my wish list for the Cavs. And certainly the Cavaliers did, too, because there wasn't any, I mean, you know, Patrick Williams probably, you know. So I do think there was a debate. I do. I do. Between All Okoro of my intel. What's that? Between Okoro and Williams? Uh, no, I don't think that was the debate. I, okay. I think I think up until around 7.30 last night, it was between Okoro and Obi Toppin. Okay. And Kobe Altman was having a really, really hard time with that particular decision and trying to separate those two guys. Okay. Um, but even as of Monday, talk about this Monday, I think we might have talked about this Monday. Mm -hmm. So Monday morning, the Cavs met as an organization to finalize their big board and to have all the kinds of conversations that they needed to have going into Wednesday night. So even when they did that, to, to my knowledge, Hayden, their big board was not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, da 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 like all these other ones on these websites. To my knowledge, their big board was in tiers. Tier one, tier two, tier three, and then they had to figure out the ranking within all of those tiers. Well, the next day, I had been told that the ranking from Monday changed because okay. there was so much confusion, right? And there was such little separating all the different prospects. Um, and I feel like that was the way that it went up until about 7.30 last night when I got a tip that Obi was out. Yeah. But, but that's how confusing it was to separate those guys. And I feel like you could make an argument for Denny, right? I could make an argument for Okoro. Joe could make an argument for Obi Toppin. Bill could make an argument for Onyeka Kongwu. 
And if that's how it was going with us, you can believe that's how it was going with the Cavs. There was at least one member of the Cavs that felt like Anyeka Kongwu should have been at the top of tier two, right? There was another member of the Cavs that said a Kongwu should have been at the bottom of tier two. So there was just a lot of confusion around the NBA about how to separate all these different prospects in a way that, so yeah, it does happen a lot in the draft, but I think more so than most years. And we knew it was going to be that way going in. Yeah, definitely. With with Obi, just specifically, I mean, you didn't like the fit per se, uh, just because, you know, given the given his age, given, you know, the Cavaliers, what their, you know, what their current roster makeup is. Um, what would the argument have been for Obi over Okoro? So I think there are two. I think the first one is he's more ready right now to contribute on the offensive end. And as much as the Cavs have issues defensively, and they do, last in defensive efficiency in the last two years, um, it's not like they're this great offense, right? I think they were 26th in offense this past year. So as much as they need a defense, they need an offense too. And I feel like because Obi has the college experience that he has, and because he's further along um, from a body standpoint, from a maturity standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, he's uh, more able to step in right away and contribute. And the Cavs want to push this thing forward. Uh, Not that they're ready to hit the go button and make all of these all in moves, but they want to make progress. Be better than they were the last couple of years, winning 19 games in back-to-back seasons. So I think that's part of it. And the other thing is, if you look at the future of this team, what's the front court look like? I mean, in yeah. the short term, in the short term, we know it's loaded. Yeah. Aaron Inch Jr., Kevin Love, Andre Drummond. Who knows about Tristan Thompson? Mm-hmm. But if you start looking beyond that, Drummond could be gone. Yeah. Tristan could be gone. And Kevin Love is mentioned in trade rumors every single day. And I believe if the Cavs could find a trade that they would say yes to, they would make a trade. Mm-hmm. They would get rid of Kevin Love. Not that they're desperate to do it. Not that they're going to salary dump him. But if the right deal comes, he's gone. Um, so because of that, the Cavs are looking at it saying, hey, we would need a long-term replacement in the front court, or at least a long-term solution in the front court. So to me, that was the allure of Toppin. And I understand that. Sure. He's. A, I mean, it, go ahead. I mean, offensively, he's a modern-day big. He can pip, pick and pop. He can pick and roll. Um, it's a really, really good asset. And, and we've seen and he can pass, too. And we've seen the kind of value that somebody like Kevin brings to an offense. And I think the Cavs looked at it saying, Obi could be that for the next five to 10 years. And what does that mean with our young guards? That means good things because Kevin is good with our young guards. I'm interested about Denny too, um, because, you know, in your mock draft, you have the Cavaliers taking Denny um, with number five. And he ends up number nine, all the way down there with the Washington Wizards. So, what happened there? Is it just it was it a matter of just too much of a project 
given given his age, given the the you know the small turnaround, the the short turnaround from um, you know for the start of the season, given the um, just given everything, really. I mean, you know, I, we did talk about how he's played professionally with a lot of great players mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. did their research, but I mean, it seems like some teams are really scared off by something. Well, you know, I think he was one of the most polarizing guys of that cluster because I just think there's more known about Obi. There's more known about Okoro and Halliburton. And with Denny, how can I phrase this? I just feel like there's more projection involved in him. Yeah. Because here's the thing, and I was talking to somebody in the NBA about this Wednesday morning. I was like, when I watch Denny, what am I looking at? You know, because he played in the Israeli league, and that was lesser competition than the Euro league. In the Israeli league, he was great. He stuffed the stat sheet, and he showed two-way potential, and he looked like a supersized playmaking forward. Because he was getting opportunities, and because the level of competition was different. In the Euro League, and there were reasons for this, but in the Euro League, he couldn't play. He didn't play. So I think if he played the way um, in the Euro League that he did in the Israeli League, then people wouldn't have as many questions about the level of competition. Um, but but I just think it was so hard to parse through. Okay, he looks like one guy with the Israeli national team. He looks like another guy in the Israeli league and he looks like another guy in the Euro league and the guy that he looked like in the Euro league was not top five pick. So there's just a lot of projecting, um, that, that I don't know that there was, hmm. I, I think he was harder to get a consensus on than some of these other guys. That's, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Just given everything. Um, I was also interested, like Tyrese Halliburton fell pretty far too. Um, you know, he was, I think, I think the Billis's big board had him like the fourth best prospect. Is that right? I think so. From, wow. from what I remember on the television, uh, and he ended up going to Sacramento. Huh. Um, what, you know, I mean, is that just a fit thing? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm thinking about the teams after. So there was... Atlanta, Detroit, York. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was a fit thing. I think the other part of it is the position that he plays. Yeah. Um, and I think people were trying to figure out, okay, is he best on the ball? Is he best off the ball? If we take him off the ball, can he play with some of the point guards that we have? Um, and, and I do think there may be some teams that are worried about his funky shooting motion. Uh, I remember talking to... Um, a draft analyst going into this process and he felt like Halliburton was one of the most overrated players in the class and the wow. fact that he was getting top five buzz was insane because he just didn't see it he felt like he was solid in a lot of different areas but he wasn't great or elite in any one thing and to be honest with you I think that might be the problem with Denny if, if yeah. we're being honest so yeah he's good at a lot of different things but does he have that elite trait that is going to allow him to reach the ceiling that you usually want from a top five pick. I mean, good in a lot of areas is really awesome to have, right?
usually look for something like that at the back end of the lottery. You're looking for elite traits, elite characteristics if you're drafting in the top five. Right. You're looking for rather a, a master of a couple trades than, you know, a, ma- a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. So, like, what's the great thing about Halliburton? I guess you could say his court vision and passing. I guess you could say that. You have to ask yourself, like, is he a point guard? Is he an off-the-ball guy? So, Atlanta at, at six, they were linked to him, but they mm-hmm. have Trey Young. If Trey Young, they have Cam Reddish. They have Kevin Herter. So the fit there wasn't ideal. Um, Detroit probably could have gone with him, probably could have, but maybe they just like Killian Hayes as a point guard better. Um, New York was probably not going to take him once Obi was available at eight. Uh, who was nine? Washington. Denny. Yep. They went Denny. They have John Wall and they have Bradley Beal. Halliburton would have been a tough sell there. Yep. They probably took a gamble more on the upside of Denny rather than the polish and production of Halliburton. Um, Phoenix just acquired Chris Paul. Uh, so, I mean, that's part of it. Certainly. Um, I'm looking at the draft here, too, and you're, I think the Spurs kind of, you know, maybe Vassell was just a better fit there. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah they were always right. looking for a 3 and D guy. Yeah, I think you're right. At the wing. It might have been a fit thing with with um, Tyrese Halliburton. But uh, you wanted to get into Kobe Altman a little bit. Yeah. And his um, decision-making. And yeah. I think with, you know, I think that it's it's becoming obvious just what he wants to do with the draft, just based on Colin, based on Isaac Okoro. Okay, what is it? What do you think it is? I think it's... I think it's the comment. I think it's honestly, I think it's, as we mentioned, that the, the desire, the drive to get better, the, the work ethic. And, you know, I think as long as there's talent there, it's just the ability to want to maximize that talent and to love the game of basketball and to put everything you have into it, to make good decisions on the court, to make good decisions off the court, um, to just be a character guy and to also just, you know, have that real love and passion for the game. And so if I you do can't think shoot, that's part. And, and, if you, and if you can't shoot, you can come to Cleveland and they'll teach you how to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not always the case. They don't no. always look for bad shooters. I no. mean, they drafted Darius, and he was supposedly an elite shooter coming out of college. And right. Dylan Windler was one of the best snipers in the draft last year. So it's not like a prerequisite to be a bad shooter, and then the Cavs can mold you into what they want. But Correct. But I do think you're on to something there. And I think there's something else here in play. Um, so even for me, covering a draft. SEC guys? No, it's not even SEC guys. Although that kind of ties into it a little bit too, doesn't it? Apparently. Those, they've taken three, right, in the last yep. three years. Alabama, Vandy, and Auburn. Yeah. Um, but I was talking to somebody about this. I cover the draft. So during this this shutdown, I reached out to as many people, one that I know and two that I trust, just smart basketball people. Mm-hmm. And NBA teams do that too. Now, yep. that doesn't always mean that they're going to get intel that makes them right. You know, the Cavs reached out to people in a search of John Beeline, people that they trusted, yeah. people that they believed, 
and it Correct. backfired, blew up in their face. But that's how this goes. You have a group of people that you trust. You have a group of people that you have a relationship with. And the intel that they give you is going to go a long way. It's going to form an opinion. Yes, of course, you're going to break down the film yourself. You're going to watch these guys in person. Uh, you're going to watch these guys work out during the pre-draft process. There are so many different things that go into a selection. But at the end of the day, it's about trust and it's about relationships. And one thing that I have noticed, Hayden, Kobe Altman, um, early on in his career, he spent a lot of time with USA Basketball. Do okay. you remember this? Yep. Kobe talked about it even when the Cavs uh, traded for Andre Drummond. But he has spent a lot of time around USA Basketball. And he has a lot of connections with USA Basketball. Mm -hmm. Colin Sexton played for Team USA. Yep. Darius Garland played for Team USA. Mm -hmm. Isaac Okoro played for Team USA. In this year's draft, Obi Toppin did not. Denny Avdia did not. And Onyeka Kongu did not. Now, that doesn't mean that the feedback that the, the Cavs and Kobe Altman got from, from contacts with Team USA said, Okongwu is a terrible guy, don't draft Toppin, don't draft Avdia. But it, what it means is like the, the guys that Kobe knows well often knows these guys that they draft really well too. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. And I think, you know, sometimes if you get – like if he knows the guys at Team USA well enough and – um you know, those guys are they're feeding him in, like maybe he gets more information about those guys than he of would course. about Obi Toppin. And, and then, you know, of you can make, it make a more informed decision. And that makes a lot of sense. Yes. And, and the other thing is the people that I talked to with with Team USA loved Isaac Okoro, as I told you. Yep. Right. Back in 2018, I know somebody who worked for Team USA that loved Colin Sexton and gave a glowing recommendation. And I think when you hear that coming from people that you trust, that's going to go a long way. Ultimately, right. it was Kobe's decision. But you gather as much information as possible. You do as much homework as you can. And you try and piece it all together with what matters most. And to me, it's just not surprising that um, the last three high first round picks have all been members of Team USA. That's a great point. It's absolutely a great point. And definitely something that, you know, we'll see where the Cavaliers land next year, but we'll, we'll see if another Team USA player who is... Oh, there uh, are a bunch. There yeah. are a bunch in next well, year's got to be an SEC player. It's got <laughs> to be an SEC player. <laughs> At this point, you just got to go SEC. You know, Kentucky, yeah. there's a, you know, there's got to be a Kentucky guy in there somewhere. We talked about that a little in the last podcast. Um, okay, this is something I'm going to bring up just because I threw it out there, and it seems to be getting you know a decent amount of traction. Um, starting lineup next year. I mean, we you know we don't know if it's going to be a Coro or not, yeah. but um, I mean, is this something to where he is he is he ready enough? I mean, is it going to be enough time for him to start? Is it going to be is he going to be ready enough to start, or is it Jetty? Or is it going to be Dylan Windler? Um, 
and Isaac's just going to take some time? Or do you, is it, it's probably even hard to say just because you haven't seen him in, on the floor and we haven't heard much. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him on the floor. Right. So Nobody the only knows. thing that I would say is there is an edge that Okoro has. There's an edge that Dylan has. Right. And there's an edge that Jetty has. So it's going to be what does J.B. Bickerstaff value the most in that starting lineup, in that five-man grouping? Yeah. So you can say Jetty because he has the experience and you don't want another young guy in that starting lineup. Sure. Because Darius, Colin, and Okoro, man, that's a lot of youth. Yes, and it is. With youth come mistakes. With youth come losing. Um, so... Jetty has, I guess, enough of um, enough of a comfort level in, in that grouping and with the coaching staff and with the NBA that I could definitely see it being him at the beginning, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan brings shooting that Okoro and Jetty don't have at the same level. Jetty has improved as a shooter. He shot 38.5% from three this past year as a significant rise for him. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. But he's not the kind of shooting threat that Dylan Windler is. Um, and then Isaac brings defense. And my God, do they need defense. I mean, if yeah. you're going to run out the, the backcourt of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, you better put a, a quality defender around them so that those two don't get torched. I mean, if you remember last year, when was it? One of the games against Miami. I don't remember which one it was, Hayden. One of the games against Miami. I'm sitting up in the press box, and I turned to Kelsey Russo of The Athletic, and I said, my God, Colin Sexton's defending Jimmy Butler. (laughs) But that's what they have to do, because Darius can't. Jetty can't. So they tried Colin because he's strong and physical and maybe he can use his leverage and maybe he can just be really, really feisty and pesky. Um, but but if you have somebody like Isaac Okoro out there with the, the, the young diminutive backcourt, suddenly he takes that challenge and not as much as um, on the shoulders of Darius or Colin, putting them in a position to fail, honestly. And then, so I don't know. I don't know ultimately what they're going to do. I don't. I don't know what they're going to lean on. Um, I guess my belief right now, honestly, is is Jetty. Yeah. Just but because. Yeah. I think that makes the most sense. I think that makes the most sense as of right now, just because of the experience factor and the fact that you know Okoro is going to have to undergo a very, 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 very quick transition, um, and you know they're not going to have a ton of time to evaluate him and. It's going to be a situation in which it's going to be very, very – and kind of – I mean, honestly, I know Dylan windler has been around. I get it. So maybe he's got a little bit of an edge, but he hasn't been on the floor much either. So it's not like yeah, he's coming with a major advantage. Um, so I think, Jetty, you're, I think you're right. I think just in terms of experience and knowledge and, you know, professional – just it, the ability to be a professional, you know, I think Jetty's probably got the edge. But I wouldn't say – I mean, if a Coral gets comfortable and gets comfortable quickly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, hesitate to say he's going to be starting – you know, sooner rather than later. I mean, this is the thing that I'll say about him. When you start seeing him impact games, 
he's the kind of guy that coaches are going to have a hard time keeping off the floor. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And when JB sees him with the kind of defensive potential that he has, the athleticism he has out there on the wing, his finishing ability on the offensive end, I think JB is going to be like, yo, this is the kind of guy that we need in this group. Because it's not like Kevin's a great defender, Kevin Love. No. Um, and, and Andre Andre Drummond's reputation is of a rim protector and a good defender. He got some vote for defensive player of the year. But his reputation has never matched what he actually brings to the court. Mm-hmm. Maybe J.B. Bickerstaff can get that out of him, especially in a contract year. But I think given the things that Isaac brings... JB is going to start gravitating to him more and it would be understandable. I think Isaac's a coach's dream, to be honest with you. That's what Bruce Pearl was telling me. Um, we haven't talked a lot about Kevin Porter jr. Uh, yeah. how he fits into this mix. And I know he's had his off the court issues lately with the, you know, with the crash and the other domestic apparent, you know, domestic violence potential, uh, issue there. Um, but, I mean, a lot of play. A lot of people are thinking maybe Kevin Porter Jr. should start over Colin and Colin should go to the bench and then bring in, you know, bring in uh, Isaac Okoro. I mean, where does where does Kevin Porter Jr., who the Cavaliers are probably banking on more than, I mean, to be maybe not banking on, but maybe they're thinking that he could be bigger than anyone they've drafted thus far. Um, where does he fit into this mix with now with Isaac coming in? You there? Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? Yeah. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear, did you did. hear my question? I did. Um, oh, okay. I honestly don't know how to answer that. I wish okay. I had an thinking. answer. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know how to answer that. Yeah. I don't know how the Cavs could answer that, to be honest with you. Like, what happened over the weekend is not good. No. What has transpired with Kevin Porter Jr. throughout the course of this offseason, this lengthy offseason, is not good. Um, I believe no matter what the Cavs say publicly, I believe there are multiple people inside the organization that are deeply concerned about Kevin Porter Jr. And if, if they say, if they say they're not, and if they say we still view him the same way that we did before this past weekend's events, I don't know how that's not a lie, right? Like, I don't know how any organization, including the Cavs, could look at this past weekend and say, our view of him is the same today as it was before this happened. There's just no way. Kevin was somebody who fell to number 30 in the first round for a reason. Kevin was somebody who was labeled a wild card going into last um, last summer league for a reason. Um, he was somebody who had off off-the-court concerns when it came to maturity, uh, decision-making, and the Cavs felt like, okay, we're going to bring him to our organization, we're going to surround him with the right people, Um, we're going to give him the kind of structure here in Cleveland that he's never had in his life. We're going to give all of that to him, and then his talent is going to shine through. And Hayden, it did. It worked. During the season when basketball was happening, he made the right decisions. 
He behaved the way that he needed to. He was a professional and he looked good, right? Yes, he and did. he had teammates feeling like the most talented of the young guys. He had people inside the organization feeling like he was the foundation piece. J.B. Bickerstaff loved working with him. Lindsey Gottlieb, assistant coach of the Cavs, loved working with him. Nobody had a bad thing to say about him. They all said he was doing the right things, making the right decisions. And they could see a big, big future for him. I just, how do you do that right now? How do you, you say those same things right now? I don't know. You don't. And to be fair for the Cavaliers, I mean, listen, nobody expected what happened with this offseason. And nobody expected the time away that, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. and all these guys were going to have. Um, you know, they expected this to be, okay, well, you know, we're going to have a season till April. Yep. You know, give him an offseason, then be right back at training camp in, in August, September, and then, you know, ready to roll come October. And, you know, I think that they didn't – they couldn't have anticipated that. So, yes, I think Kevin Porter is probably the casualty of a way too long offseason with maybe a little time away and you tend to kind of forget your routines and forget your habits and, you know, the things that were making you successful. But um, – that's all not to say that he's not, you know, he's responsible for that. And that certainly right. does still affect him and the way that the team or, you know, the team views him, the team, you know, will uh, use him and will think about him. So you're absolutely right. I think that this weekend was not good by any stretch. And, you know, we'll have to evaluate going forward. Um, but luckily for the Cavaliers, very luckily, we are close to getting them back on the floor. Yep. Getting them back in the area to where, okay, maybe they can turn it around before it gets, you know, goes in the wrong direction again. Right. right. And and you're right. Um, to be honest with you, I talked to a couple of people inside the organization going into this offseason about KPJ because I knew all of the things um, that they were worried about going into this offseason. And they were like, oh, my God, we're going to lose the structure. We're going to lose um, the detailed uh, regimen. Um, the workout schedule, the practice schedule, like all those things uh, that KPJ was following on a daily basis that created a new routine. Like all of those things were being lost um, because, you know, the practice facility wasn't available um, because the, the connection with the team wasn't available. Uh, the working out with teammates wasn't available, at least early on in the pandemic. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And, and there were people inside the organization that were worried about what was going to happen when those um, things were taken away, when that routine was changed. And it seems like um, that has played a part in this whole thing. In saying that, like I know multiple players that have tried putting their arm around KPJ and helping him, and they have offered to do a lot for him. Um, but the bottom line is, he's a 20-year-old kid who makes his own decisions, who hangs around with people that he wants to hang around with, and trusts people that he wants to trust. And he's had a really rough upbringing. It's not justifying anything that he's done, but it's the truth. He's had a really rough upbringing, and some of the decisions, the poor ones that he has made, um, are reflected in that. Uh, some of the people that he trusts are reflected in that. Um, and I just hope that he starts trusting the people that want what's best for him. Certainly. Because there are a lot of people inside the organization that are trying. 
Absolutely. I don't see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you're right. It's easier said than done. Um, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe when he gets back around the team, then that'll be a situation in which he can, you know, understand them more and maybe get that in-person feel as opposed to, um, you know, just on the phone or Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. You know, maybe right. it's just a different connection with them uh, when they're in person together. Yeah, but it's a really uh, bad sign, I think. Honestly, if we're if we're being honest, yeah, it's a really bad sign. Um, I'm not burying the kid right now. He's 20 years old. He made some mistakes. He needs to learn from those. But it's a bad sign that in his first NBA offseason, this is the way that it goes. Yes. The off seasons are tough on a lot of people. You know, I, I know it's a different off season. It's a completely yeah. different off season. It's a longer off season than usual with different access to different things. But the off season is filled with temptation and freedom and things along those lines. And you, as as a professional, if you're going to be an NBA player and you're going to be a pro, like you have to do the right things during the season. Yes, it's easier, but what do you do when nobody's watching? Yeah. Yeah. What do you do I mean, out of the spotlight? What do you do away from the basketball court? Like right. those are things that are going to matter, especially to a team that focuses a lot on culture. Right. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, bringing in Isaac, uh, you know, will only continue that to try to drive a, a different culture. And maybe Kevin Porter Jr. will, you know, continue to grow and continue to learn. You know, that's the only hope that the Cavaliers have is if they, you know, as if he can continue to make strides and, or, you know, to stay, take steps in the right direction as opposed to the wrong direction. And hopefully this is a misstep that will, you know, um, that will continue to, again, just kind of make him a better person. Right. I mean, sometimes that's, yeah, sometimes that's how it goes. Right. Unfortunately. Yep. For sure. Um, all right, Chris. Well, listen. If we let anything else about Isaac, anything else about Kobe, anything else? I mean, we've I'm trying to think. Like we've 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 talked a lot about a lot of different things, and now it's time. Like finally, we can start to think about <laughs> training camp soon, and and um, you know, see how Isaac is fitting on the floor. And I'm sure, you know, um, we might not get access to practice, but you know, it'll be better to talk to some of these guys more closely on a daily basis. And um, you know, right now, honestly, I mean. With the virus the way that it is, let's just pray there's a season. <laughs> you know, it's it's just horrible to think about. I hate yeah, it. No. I hate everything about it. But, you know, it just it seems to be getting much worse instead of much better. So hopefully this vaccines, yeah. these, you know, there's apparently, what, three vaccines now? Hopefully they can get these things on the road and get going. Yeah. So I think this is the other thing. Um, we're talking about a Coro and the kind of impact that he can have. Yeah. You know what I think is going to get better through this? Somebody like Dylan Windler, somebody yeah. like KPJ, if he makes better decisions and he grows up a little bit. Because having to play against that dude every single day in practice, like you're going to have to bring it, right? Yeah. Think about it. You're going to have to bring it. You're going to have to bring it every single day. I and mean, you're going to be challenged every single day. The Cavs always told this story about Matthew Dellavedova just pissing yeah. off Kyrie Irving. Yes. And Kyrie hated playing against him, yeah. but it challenged him, and it probably made him better. Now, Kyrie yeah. was great to begin with. He was probably destined to be a great player, 
But having that level of competition daily in practice, going against that in practice, that's going to make you better. And Dylan Absolutely. Windler is going to be playing against a tough, rugged defender in scrimmages on the practice floor. And that's that's going to show him the areas where he needs improvement um, and the areas where he can have success. And I think that's really beneficial for somebody like Dylan who did not get to play in the NBA last year and hasn't been able to do um, as much as some of these second-year players because of the injury that he sustained. And as you mentioned, same goes for Kevin Porter Jr. Yes, right. Absolutely right. And I'm not saying that's why they picked a Coro, but I think that's a byproduct of having a guy like that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's maybe a good thing about the Cavaliers that we kind of don't really talk a ton about. And maybe that maybe it doesn't go as much for the guard position, but they do have some like they do have some depth uh, in terms of, you know, if Tristan comes back, you look at you look at the you know, you look at the Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., Tristan Thompson, like going against each other in practice. You know, that'll certainly iron sharp iron sharpens iron. You got Okoro going up against Kevin Porter Jr. and um, and Jetty and, and Dylan Windler. I mean, those that, those will definitely be some battles. And yeah. Um, we'll see if Delhi comes back. We'll see if, um, you know, Dante Exum comes back. I mean, there's definitely some, there's definitely some depth there in terms if, if maybe not like on the floor during games depth, I think there's some depth in like, they can definitely make each other better in practice. Yeah. And the other thing, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, but I want it to be the finishing thought. Sure. Just because a can't currently shoot threes doesn't mean he's a one dimensional player. Right. 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 There are plenty of other ways to score in the NBA while not making threes. There are plenty of other ways to impact offense in a positive way while not being able to shoot threes. So if you're focusing solely on he can't shoot threes, you are missing so many of the other things that he does well. And the draft to me, Hayden, has always been about and should be about. It's it's not what you can't do. It's what you can do. And this is the problem that fans had with Colin Sexton. They put him in a box. They labeled him a certain way. They formed an opinion. And they gave him no space to improve. Don't do that with Okoro. He's a 19-year-old kid who's still getting better. And he works his ass off to try and get better. He's already worked all off season on his outside shot and he feels like it's gotten better and the Cavs saw him work out and they thought it looked better. Oh, by the way, here's another story from his workout. Okay. So the Cavs um, went to Auburn and, and also if you're looking for who the Cavs are going to draft, um, chances are they're going to draft somebody they worked out. So to me, the only four people that were realistic possibilities for the Cavs at number five, because of how much they value an in-person workout. Um, Isaac Okoro, Obi Toppin, Denny Avdia, and Onyeka Kongwu. Like, there are other people in that tier, but not seeing them work out, I think, worked against them. Um, Anyway, so they go to Auburn. This was a couple weeks before the draft. They go to Auburn, and first the Cavs loved that he was working out in Auburn. He could have been finding a fancy gym in Atlanta, with a bunch of his boys and stuff like that. But he stayed on campus close to people that he had relationships with close to people that he trusted away from the bright lights. Um, So the Cavs go to Auburn. It was 
Kobe Altman, assistant GM Mike Gansey, and head coach J.B. Bickerstaff. And uh, they put him through a workout. They were impressed with all the things that we already talked about. And then they had dinner with him. So they sat down. They had dinner. They talked about who he was as a person, what he likes, what he doesn't like, hobbies, things like that. Uh, The feedback that they got is these are the things that matter most to Isaac. God, family, and basketball. So they get done with the dinner. And they go back to the campus of Auburn. And Isaac goes to put in a second workout. After the workout he had already had with the Cavs, after the long dinner that he already had with the Cavs and the conversation that followed, he went back at night to Auburn's campus and had a second workout. There you go. Like that's Colin. That's yeah. That sounds a lot I mean, like Colin. Colin. Yeah. I mean, those two are going to be in the gym. There's oh my no God. doubt about it. Speaking of that, Tuesday night, the Cavs were um, at the practice facility till about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, putting in a lot of work, getting some pre-draft stuff together ahead of Wednesday night. So they're about to leave around 10 o'clock, and Colin Sexton strolls into the gym for a 10 o'clock workout. <laughs> well, you know, that's, I mean, that's the culture they're looking for. Yep. You know, they, they, they want that work. They want that work, work, work. And I think that's, you know, that's something that I, that Kobe Altman has definitely put a stamp on the organization. Guys, they're going to put in the time. Yep. Well, that's a great closing thought, and we appreciate the stories for sure. Um, I'm sure there'll be more to come from Isaac Oro oh, yeah. and from this Cavaliers team in general. And, you know, finally we have a name that we can firmly place um, on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster after months and months and months and months and months of speculation and, and prospects and all that. Um, how I do have one more question real quick. Okay. You mentioned last night on Twitter that the Cavaliers were trying to work in on getting back in the second round. Were they ever yeah. close to another first-round pick or a second-round pick? I don't think so. Yeah. It yeah, just, I don't think so. It was just one of those things they're doing their due diligence to try to, you know, get somebody yeah. to like. Of course. I mean, there were different guys that they liked if they could have gotten into the first round, depending on what it was going to take to do that. Um, The other thing is, uh, if you notice, I don't think there was a single lottery pick in the 2021 draft traded last night. And teams are going to hold those things tight because the 2021 draft is supposed to be awesome. Yeah. To the point where... The number one pick in this year's draft, Anthony Edwards, there are some believe that if he would have been in next year's draft, he would have had a hard time um, cracking the top five, maybe even the top ten. Wow. Now it could change. Of course it could change. But that's the kind of talent level that people are talking about here. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, so we'll see when next year. See what the 2021 NBA draft is. We'll see. We'll see what the Cavaliers are. But for now, we would just focus on Isaac Okoro, focus on this new Cavaliers roster that's about to take the courts in independence. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited that finally we're going to get the season basketball, hopefully here soon. And um, it's it's just good to finally have a name to, to put on the Cavaliers so we don't have to talk about all these other guys and if they're going to fit, if they're going to be there. If, 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 you know, it's good to just have a solid, solid name um, that we can, you know, discuss and break down and go forward with. Yes, sir. You know it. All right. So if you want 
everything you want to know about Isaac Okoro, we will put on this post. We'll get you a bunch of links that Chris has uh, put together and, and stories that he's done on Isaac. He's done extensive stories on Isaac. He's talked to Bruce Pearl. He's talked to Isaac himself. He's, you know, written profiles and whatnot. So we will post those at the bottom of this page, as well as the subtext links so you can get uh, your inside analysis and information from Chris. Stories like maybe the one that you just heard about Isaac Okoro and his workout. Um, and $3.99 a month for that 14-day free trial. Um, what better time to do it? Now the Cavaliers have made their pick, and now that they are heading into the 2020-2021 regular season at the end of next month, we are almost a month away. So training camp is going to certainly be a time to, where you want to talk to Chris and and be able to text him um, just right to his phone. And so don't thanks forget. for joining us, everyone. We appreciate it. We will talk to you on Monday or maybe even Tuesday. We'll see what happens. But Chris, thank you as always for joining us. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Take care.